Welcome to Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life. I'm your host, Leonard DiLorenzo. Where do we find renewal in the church? We seem to be looking everywhere, new approaches, new strategies, new methods. But what if some of our best sources for renewal are not just in our future, but in our past? What if a key to the renewal of the church, to the new evangelization, is the retrieval and the remembrance of the treasures of the tradition that have served the church over the centuries? One of those treasures is the tradition of monasticism. Today's guest, Abbot Austin Murphy of the Abbot of St. Procopius outside Chicago, Illinois, lives within and helps guide a culture of life that sprung up more than 1,500 years ago. As a Benedictine monk and especially as the superior of his religious community, Abbot Austin abides in the tradition of St. Benedict of Nursia, who organized communal life according to the rhythms of liturgical prayer, focused work, and the discernment of human needs in the light of divine wisdom. Abbot Austin is the 10th abbot of St. Procopius Abbey, though originally from Huntington, New York. He holds a bachelor's degree in economics from the University of Chicago, multiple master's degrees from the Dominican House of Studies in Washington, D.C., and a Ph.D. in theology from the University of Notre Dame, where he wrote his dissertation on St. Augustine. Earlier this summer, he joined us at the McGrath Institute for Church Life's Liturgy Symposium to speak on the topic of formation into Eucharistic praying. Abbot Austin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. For those who might be unfamiliar with your monastic community of St. Procopius, would you give us a little introduction? Sure. Uh, St. Procopius Abbey was founded in 1885 in Chicago in a a Czech neighborhood. Its background is... uh, ethnically Czech and Slovak. It, it came really out of this movement of Benedictines who came to the uh, U.S. from Europe to help serve um, immigrant populations, especially German. Hmm. But uh, there was a kind of connection in Bavaria with the Sudetenland and, and uh, Czech population. So from uh, the German monastery of St. Vincent's in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, it was founded our monastery in the Pilsen neighborhood of Chicago in 1885. So we took over the largest Czech parish at the time. Uh, it was a combination of two two parishes and uh, after the Chicago fire. Hmm. So we did a lot of a lot of missionary work, a lot of uh, apostolic work. Uh, right away, after two years, we founded our, uh, our schools, what would become a high school and a college. Um, and then around 1900, we moved out to the suburbs. Then it was just the sticks, kind of open fields. <laughs> uh, since then, it's become the western suburbs of Chicago, and it's, it's very... Uh, very populated, pretty busy. And currently we have, uh, I think, 23, I should know exactly, but 23 monks <laughs> and um, in our monastery. So, uh, And we sponsor high school, Benedict Academy, and a college, Benedict University. Very good. Does the Abbey itself align more with Cubs, White Sox, so you remain neutral? <laughs> That's right. I'm from New York, so I root for the Mets. Okay. <laughs> All right. Painful enough. Um, You know, St. Benedict of Nursia founded the Abbey of Monte Cassino around the year 529 or so, marking the real birth of Benedictine monasticism. What was St. Benedict's concern, his insight in his particular period, especially as the Roman Empire was falling into decay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that sense of decadence is in the background. Um, The decay of uh, the Roman culture, the Roman world, also the uh, certain moral decay. Uh, The irony is, 
that Benedictines have founded a lot of schools, but St. Benedict himself dropped out of school. <laughs> so he went to Rome and didn't like the, the life of the students there and then went off in solitude to search for God. So um, so that's in the background. And, and, and so there is this kind of, you know, flight from the world, this fuga mundi theme going on. Um, but also then kind of fa- grounding yourself in, uh, you know, what is most essential, um, what is authentically human, um, the pursuit of God and the peace that he gives. So, um, so that's, you know, that kind of insight in how do you seek God? How do you uh, grow in the spiritual life. So he's, St. Benedict's often referred to as a master of the spiritual life. So um, that's an important idea. And it's, he's drawing, you know, he's original in a way by being um, really tapping into the sources of uh, Christian monasticism mm-hmm. and drawing on that. So he, he doesn't write the first rule ever, um, but he takes the materials that um, are available to him, his own insights, and he puts forward this uh, this rule, which is known for moderation. Um, and just good common sense, organizational kind of uh, knowledge and wisdom, but ultimately, you know, grounded, as he says about the abbot in particular, to be first and foremost concerned about uh, spiritual things and uh, seeking God, not to get a lot of the concerns of the temporal goods of life, which we have to attend to, not let them uh, take the first place. As an abbot yourself now, Mm -hmm. how difficult is that to keep first and foremost the spiritual things in mind when you're also responsible for all the other things going on mm-hmm. at the Abbey. Yeah, it's very, very, uh, very challenging. So, yeah, there, there's a, I, I think of this, I came across this in uh, that, that book, um, I'm so bad remembering names, I remember the author, mm-hmm. the famous uh, book, The Soul of the Apostolate uh, by Trappist Monk. And uh, at one point in there, he talks about uh, the three kinds of work. So one being the spiritual work, another being intellectual work, and the other being manual or physical work. And he makes kind of a startling claim that uh, the spiritual work is the hardest. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think it's true. It, you know, obviously you can have manual work that's backbreaking and just really, really grueling. Um, but, you know, leaving aside that, that kind of extreme, uh, you know, doing, uh, well, I'll give you an example. So uh, my father was in the restaurant business. So when I was in uh, college, I was working on the intellectual work there, and then I go home and I, you know, sweep floors for my father in his mm-hmm. restaurant. And there's something really peaceful about <laughs> sweeping floors. You know, the intellectual work is hard. It really is, uh-huh. in a certain sense, harder and more draining. And then the spiritual work is even harder uh, than that. It's and so what I'm saying, I guess, is that uh, that's one of the reasons why it's easy to uh, try to avoid it mm-hmm. and not to attend to it because it really is uh, difficult. And uh, so. As Abby, if so many things in, uh, you're in charge of, or at least have some responsibility for, and it's very easy to look at those things that are have to be done or important, but in some ways they're easier. They're a way of kind of not dealing with the more difficult spiritual matters that need to be tended to. What becomes the sort of foundation for you, therefore, of the spiritual works? So what do you, how do you kind of call yourself back to that more mm-hmm. difficult work? Yeah, that I think uh, primarily for a monk, it's the uh, the rhythm of uh, prayer and the liturgy of the hours, mm-hmm. the divine office, or Saint Benedict calls it the work of God. So to have that structure in your day uh, is a reminder. Uh, that keep coming back to the scriptures, to the Psalms, especially which are so um, you know, so beautiful and so human. Um, that's a great reminder to keep centered on God and the pursuit of God. Um, so yeah, because you know when you're when you're busy, you want to kind of keep going at certain things, but uh, 
when you have that, you have to come back. You know, so what happens is you you kind of don't want to pray. You're busy doing something else, and you, well, the bell's ringing. I got to go to prayer, <laughs> especially as a habit. It wouldn't look good if I didn't. I just right. missed it. So, um, so that's a good reminder, and it really it's uh, um, that kind of structure. It brings you back, reminds you, you know, why you're there. So there's a you know the famous story of uh, Saint Bernard Clairvaux. He would ask himself again and again, you know, why did I come here? Why did I come here? Right for that holiness, for seeking God. Um, so. I think especially that, the, the prayer life and the, the rhythm of prayer and, and the structure of it in the monastery. Mm, that's really interesting. There there often seems, or at least I, I hear this a lot, and I think I've, I've had this feeling too, that the routines, rote prayers especially, mm-hmm. are something that you start with, but then you get beyond. And the thing that yeah. really matters is the spontaneous, you know, more spontaneous prayer, more of uh, the affections, intention, but... Mm-hmm. Um, here you're saying like the foundation is actually the routine that you don't graduate from it. You continue to come mm-hmm. back to it. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is uh, this is one of the things that perhaps monastic life or religious life in general can kind of offer the world today and uh, and, the, and the church at large is uh, the kind of idea of structures. Because I think there is this, you know, if you look at things like the, um, you know, spiritual but not religious sort of movement, mm-hmm. um, and other things that you know, this kind of prejudice against organized religion, this idea that structures are um, are somehow artificial or somehow not good or dangerous. So, um, but they really are important. I mean, if you look at anything we do, whether um, you know, if you're studying, you put together kind of a study plan often, or certain times you're going to study. If you're doing a a diet regimen, um, you know, it's a regimen, it's a structure. You, mm-hmm. you do certain things, exercise regimen, the exercise this amount of time. Uh, whatever it is, you know, you want to get something done in the office, you put together a project plan. So all these, these kind of structures are so human. And so it, there's a similarity in the spiritual life. We need structures. We need um, things like that that kind of keep bringing us back to, uh, to the spiritual life. And, and it is the, the interior life, the, the affections, all that's crucial. But it's not, um, it's not like an either or, mm-hmm. but they actually work together. So that, that discipline, that structure is really crucial for going deeper and deeper interiorly. Mm. You're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. We're talking to Abbot Austin Murphy of St. Procopius Abbey near Chicago, Illinois. Do you think that the necessity of structure, that deep human insight, is part of the reason why for 1,500 years Benedictine monasticism has endured and um, is still thriving today? Yes, yeah, I think that that's one of the perennial insights uh, for our journey in this life uh, as we try to seek God and work out our salvation. It's, uh, you know, different particular monasteries come and go. So some are founded, some pass away, but it's this general movement mm. of monasticism keeps reappearing even where older monasteries might die away, new ones come up. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely think that it's, um, it, there's a certain irony around monasteries um, and you see this um, some places like Trappist monasteries are especially known for uh, their structure and discipline and austerity um, but they, they attract um, they attract kind of a new age crowd sometimes hmm. which is very kind of irony because that new age movement is kind of known in some ways for kind of discarding the structures and the organization um, and, they, and they, they have some affinity to monks have so much structure <laughs> and organization. Uh, not, I don't want to over, overstate right, it, right, but right, still, right. They're, they're, that's part of our life. Right. So, um, so kind of, it's interesting to think about. It does, sometimes you attract people who um, to monasteries who are 
who have some kind of difficulty or trouble with or tension they feel with organized religion and structures like sacramental practice and things like that. So um, it, it's something to think about. It's kind of odd. But I think it, what it's showing is that there really is this affinity between it, or they go hand in hand. Uh, and, and people have pointed out, I think, too, that you know, with some of those new age practices, uh, they are coming up with their own practices. And right. although they won't perhaps speak of it that way, they're structures. Yeah. They're, they're organizing their religious practice. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I think there's something there uh, in, the, in the witness of monks about the two going together, the spiritual and the structural. Mm. So there's some longing that's being responded mm-hmm. to there. Um, perhaps, perhaps today more than ever, though, we always like to play up our own generation, mm-hmm. our own time, as if it's completely peculiar, but there are mm-hmm. precedents in every generation, perhaps. Um, but especially now we feel we're surrounded by disorder, it seems, by mm-hmm. going in very many yeah. different directions, by being bombarded with the suggestion of needs and feeling so many mm-hmm. needs. Um, what kind of What kind of needs does monasticism respond to? And maybe even more, like what kind of clarification of needs does it offer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, it, it's a great question. I think... Um, yeah, the need for God is the is the big thing that's often overlooked. Um, and um, but the the thing with the Benedictine tradition, it it's often talks about balance. Mm-hmm. And one way of thinking about balance is um, like a balanced diet. So with a balanced diet, you have uh, you're thinking about all the essentials you need to get in your diet, and you're unbalanced if you don't get them. Mm-hmm. So in the Benedictine life. Uh, there's different things that we need. God, who is so easily overlooked in the life of prayer and the spiritual work. So that need is so easily neglected. Uh, but there are other needs that don't go away, even when we're pursuing God, and we have to work on them all. So that, the idea of uh, balance is, I think, getting at that. Uh, even if you look at before Benedict, someone like uh, John Cashin, um, he has this really odd, oh, it, I don't want to say, I shouldn't say it's odd. I sound disrespectful, <laughs> but it, it is kind of odd. It's a little weird. <laughs> reading of a passage from Galatians about when St. Paul says, uh, you know, your, your, uh, your spirit and the flesh are at odds with each other and you don't, uh, therefore you don't do what you would. Right. And so he kind of interprets this, and this is actually, something like this is found in origin a little bit, but he interprets the mean, um, and this is the way, he, what he does with it is really interesting. So, and helpful, I think. So like the spirit in this case becomes, pursuing spiritual needs. Mm-hmm. And then the flesh becomes pursuing kind of bodily needs. Uh, it, it's not, it, it's, in this reading, it's not a, a, a morally negative. Okay. It's just more like I have bodily needs. So if I'm pursuing spiritual needs by like fasting a lot, I could go to such an extent that I neglect the uh, bodily needs mm-hmm. I have. Or if I do it by keeping vigils and staying awake to pray, um, I can neglect my need for sleep. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things he points out is if you can, uh, you can pursue the spiritual needs so much in a certain way that you neglect those other, we might call them human needs rather than the f- needs of the flesh, but uh, whatever we call it, uh, they don't go away. So you can't just say, oh, I'm just being spiritual and all that will go away. No, you're, you're still going to conk out because you don't have enough sleep or you don't have enough energy because you haven't eaten enough. Um, so he talks about that, that you know, what we can do is we can pursue the spiritual in a way that neglects the other needs or human needs or the needs of the flesh. And it's going to come back. And what's going to happen, is the, the good news is that uh, it can't sustain itself. So you're going to kind of come back to a more balanced right. way. 
And then if you go the other direction, which is towards laxity, and you're, you're only uh, meeting your human needs, so mm -hmm. to speak, or the needs of the flesh, um, what happens is you're actually going to be, there's a part of this in a revolt against that. It's a little uh, different experience, but basically it's kind of like being a spiritual couch potato. <laughs> you, you eventually just get so like, ugh, you feel just horrible and, and you want to do something spiritual. Right. So your, your need for God and the spiritual needs kind of then kick in and bring you back uh, towards the right path, yeah. which is leading to the kingdom. So it's not automatic, right? Yeah. We can stay on the wrong path uh, to our detriment. But, but there are certain forces at work, even in our human nature and our authentic needs that are kind of pushing us back towards the, uh, the truly balanced way that will lead us to the kingdom. Mm. It seems like just about every parent would understand that, the <laughs> desire to be a good parent and to serve mm -hmm. your kids. But if you don't attend to your own needs, you actually end up being a terrible parent. A yeah. student would get that too, right? Like mm -hmm. the desire to do so well in school, but staying up late and not eating well, eventually that's also going to affect your your yeah. studies. Mm -hmm. So, But this, this kind of brings up this, uh, this idea that actually the last three popes have mm -hmm. really touched on very strongly of a human ecology. Mm -hmm. um, Pope John Paul II stressing the moral conditions necessary for this human ecology and tying, especially tying its foundation to the family or Pope Francis's vision in Laudato Si, which is really infused with this, this same concern. But I wanted to, to give you a, a little quote from Pope, Pope Benedict XVI, uh, who also spoke very much about this human ecology and then just ask you to give us some thoughts on it. So Pope Benedict in 2011 wrote, the human being will be capable of respecting other creatures only if he keeps the full meaning of life in his own heart. Otherwise, he will come to despise himself and his surroundings and to disrespect the environment, the creation in which he lives. For this reason, the first ecology be to be defended is human ecology. Mm -hmm. Tell us what you think, what you hear there, your mm -hmm. thoughts on that. Yeah, there, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to be said here. Sure. Uh, one, perhaps one way to start is just the the idea of creation. Um, I, I know. Here's a little story. I won't reveal names, but uh, I, I had an experience of some scientists who are professors. Uh, they were weighing in about kind of a mission statement that would uh, talk about you know respecting creation, and they uh, they objected to the word the word creation. They wanted hmm. to say you know. Uh, so they're worried about creationism and all those debates course, about right. that. But still, we can't let go of creation, that this idea and our faith that uh, God made this world. There is a creator behind it. So um, with creation, though, there, there's uh, things have properties. This is, this, is so, uh, this is so basic, but it has so many different imp implications. Uh, things have inherent properties. So the example I often use is the carpenter. Right? He's going to work with wood. And, um, you know, if the carpenter tries to make something out of wood that the properties of wood don't allow, it, it just doesn't work. Um, I, I once came across a picture of someone who, like, made this really elaborate-looking gun out of wood, right? Uh -huh. it, it just won't work, right? <laughs> a wood gun doesn't work. It's going to be a toy, but it, everyone knows it won't work. So, um, so there's certain properties, and then you have to respect that. And, and part of becoming a good carpenter is... Uh, you learn what the properties of wood are. Mm -hmm. You learn that, you know, with, uh, and I don't know much about this, but a little bit I picked up is, you know, with certain hardwoods, you can't just drive a nail in it or it'll split. You have right. to pre-drill it. Uh, other softer woods, you can do that. So you learn the different properties of woods, how you work with them, what you can make for them. But if you don't know their properties and you don't know their potentials and you can't make the most out of them um, and really get the most, the most beautiful things out of them. Uh, it's true with, um, I think, teaching. 
Um, teaching is, you know, a good teacher is attentive to the particular properties of his or her students. So they're aware. And St. Benedict says about the abbot, too, you, you realize you're different monks of different temperaments and personalities. They have, in a certain way, different properties. And um, what we, a temptation to do is we want to bend everything to our will. I, I want this to be the way it's going to be. And perhaps at the end, and the goal you have is a good one, but, and you want to get there, but you're, you kind of can force everything in that way without respecting the properties that belong to the things, you're, the materials, as it were, that you're working with. So um, if you have a student who has a certain kind of personality, you have to respect that and work with that uh, if you want him to learn the mm-hmm. materials. You can't just you know, bend them to, like, you're on the beat it into your head. That's, <laughs> that's what, I'm a bad teacher. That's what I would try to do. I would try to, like, beat this into the person's head. Right. But no, you try to work with them. So there's a human application to it, and also with our own lives and how we um, tend to ourselves and our own uh, flourishing, so to speak, or growth. Um, you know, we're talking about the needs has to do with this. You can't just, you know, I want to become spiritual. I want to become holy. So I'm just going to spend all this time in prayer and not eat and not sleep or whatever it is. Um, it's usually most people aren't trying that. But right, <laughs> right. But some have. Right. And, um, or, you know, I want to uh, be happy, so I'm just going to indulge whatever kind of, you know, food, other pleasures. Uh, it's not that work. You have to be attentive to the way the Creator has made us and the properties mm. He's given us. And uh, so in a way, with, like, Laudato Si and um, the care for the earth and the material world, in a way, this is a reflection of what we need to be attentive to uh, on other levels of human nature and spiritual life. Um, and if, if, we're, if what we do is simply look at things and think of them as kind of raw materials we can just manipulate or bend to whatever end we want right. without respecting their inherent properties, uh, that's not good. We have to have the humility of letting those things with their properties speak to us and being attentive to that and working with that and get the most out of ourselves and, and other things. Mm, really lovely. You're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. We're talking to Abbot Austin Murphy of St. Procopius Abbey. In that response to this uh, sort of question or uh, lead in to human ecology, lovely, you're talking about creation itself, but then you also talked about the abbey or a classroom and having mm-hmm. to know the properties, um, the personalities in many respects of the mm-hmm. students or the monks um, in order to work with them well to bring out their potential. That makes me wonder um, for the young men that are coming to your abbey, curious mm-hmm. or perhaps at the point of ready to to petition to mm-hmm. join for formation, what are you looking for in those young people who are coming to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, you, you, from experience and talking to other people as well, you, you, you do learn that um, you know, certain uh, experiences that they've had that are going to be more likely uh, lead to a good fit for the monastery. So you're looking at you know, how, or how, how long have they been practicing their faith, mm-hmm. and are they stable in that? Have mm-hmm. they some kind of uh, maturity in that and awareness of themselves? Um, you know, their prayer life, do they have um, certain social skills in a sense of their, you know, how about friendships? How about the relationships with their families? Um, are, are those good? Because those are, you know, come at the mosque, you're going to bring <laughs> all that with you, right? And so um, that's important. Um, you know, also a certain ability to see things through. So um, we don't require, um, I think if someone's coming, let's say out of high school, I want to you know, get some experience in the world or get some college education first. In our case, uh, that's what we would hope for. But 
um, whether it's college education or other work experience, are they able to see things through? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you'll see, uh, you know, someone's just jumped around a lot. And so why is that? Why haven't you been able to commit yourself to something? Um, and I think sometimes in a job interview, you're, 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 people are looking at the same thing. You know, why, yeah. why didn't it work here, this place, and that place? Yeah. But, uh, but it does say something about um, your ability to see something through and stability of character um, that's needed. It's not to say you need to be perfect. You don't. You definitely don't need to be perfect. <laughs> you live in the monastery. You realize quickly about yourself and others. That we're not perfect. <laughs> but uh, but there's certain things that make it a good fit, so that this way of life would be really um, it would be constructive for your salvation. Working that out, you don't want to put someone in a situation where it's not going to help them in the pursuit of God. Yeah, yeah. So in that case, once again, the spiritual isn't going to get rid of the human. It's exactly. going to build on it, right? Exactly. So that's mm-hmm. really. That seems a really important theme. If people wanted to find out more about St. Procopius Abbey, can they find you online? Sure. Yes. Um, we, we do have a, a website, uh, procopius.org. The challenge is just being able to spell Procopius. So. Do it for us. <laughs> All right. P-R-O-C-O-P-I-U-S. Very good. Procopius. And then uh, I have a Facebook page. I do so-so with keeping up. Not the best. You but, yourself yeah. have one. I, yeah. Uh, Abbott, Abbott Austin, Austin Murphy. G. Murphy OSB, I think. Okay. Yep. Very good. Well, thank you for taking the time to thank be with you. us today and for this conversation. Uh, thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. We'll talk to you next time.